This is Elephant in the Room, the podcast on PHP and software design. You can find us on the web at elephantintheroom.io. Now here are your hosts, Everzet and Matthias. Hi, I'm Matthias. I'm an independent software consultant. I help teams build enterprise applications. And hi, everyone. I'm Everzet. I'm BDD practice manager, and I help my team at Rika and teams in, in client companies to drive their processes through TDD and BDD practices. So uh, thank you for uh, your interest in our first episode. We were uh, very happy to see some uh, interesting feedback from you guys. Yeah, it was awesome. I think we have something to talk about, and I think you guys are interested in that, and thank you for that. So Matthias, what did you do last week? I had a very cool week. Uh, I was accepted to uh, CONFU, the conference in Montreal, so I'm very excited about that. And uh, we had our second meetup with the Domain Driven Design Belgium uh, user group. We had a speaker uh, who, who told us about her research in spreadsheets. She builds uh, tools for uh, static analysis and refactoring and testing for spreadsheets. It's very, very awesome. Whoa. And what did you do this week? Well, for me, it was quite an opposite week from yours. Uh, I got a refusal for True North PHP. But your, your visa was rejected. Yeah, well, yeah. But at the same time, next week, I'm still going to PHPCon Poland, and I will talk about BDD and uh, legacy application there. Looking forward to it. So, yeah, if you're, if you're Polish, go to this conference. We can talk. Um, what else? Other than that, I think the biggest change this week for me was uh, uh, after work, I was refactoring Behat again, which is like sad and awesome at the same time. Based on our, on our conversation together with, my, with you uh, during the... The PHP Northwest. Exactly. Uh, we were kind of, you know, we talked a lot about over-engineering and like refactoring and value objects. So basically like, I ref- I cleaned up the code again, and most of it is based on the value objects now. So basically, I there was there was a point where there was like multiple testers inside Behat Core, which test like different levels of the features, and they were returning an integers, you know, like and there was like integer calculation. Now there is like value objects and like logic just naturally moved out from the testers into value objects, and I really really like the architecture that comes out of it. So, yeah, I think this, is, this could be a really, really good topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, value objects are a very useful and very important uh, idea in object-oriented programming. Uh, actually, a friend of mine said that value objects are the heart and soul of object-oriented programming, and I, that, that quote sort of stuck with me. I can really relate to that. So, yeah, maybe we should define uh, value objects. They're like... They're usually very small objects that um, uh, they represent a value or a set of values and some behavior that is sort of related to those values. It's kind of the main grouping mechanism, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, so maybe it's, it's a good idea, I think, to, to compare them to entities because everybody understands or, or knows about entities. Um, entities are, are uh, objects that have some kind of identity, some kind of life cycle throughout uh, your system. So, for example, if you are uh, a customer in my application and you, uh, you have a name and you have an email address, 
even if your email address changes over the life cycle of that object, you are still that same customer. You still have that same identity. And the, the life cycle of the objects is not necessarily the life cycle of the, of the script or of the system working. It, is, it spawns there out of the scope of the, you know, like one single script execution. It is existent of this object inside the entire system uh, at different periods of time and different script runs. Exactly, and you would probably persist that uh, entity somewhere and, uh, and restore it from memory later when you need it again, like when the customer logs in again. Um, so that is, and even, even if you have uh, two instances of that same customer object, uh, it's still the same identity. That's sort of the, the, the central idea of an entity. It's something that has a life cycle and an identity, even though it can change over the course of its life and over the course of multiple uh, requests in, in PHP. The, the differences uh, between a value object and an entity is that the uh, value object does not have an identity. It's, it's only uh, identity is determined by its values. So if you have two email value objects, for example, and uh, one is your email address and the other is my email address, then they are uh, different. If they are the, the same email address, then they are the same value objects. And they could be the same instance or they, they could be two instances. Um, but it doesn't matter because the only thing we care about is the actual value in that value object. Um, so a, a very good example, I think, is, is uh, money. Uh, because it can be both ways. If I give you a 50 euro bill and tomorrow you give me a different 50 euro bill, then that would be uh, the same value for you and for me. We don't really care that it's the same uh, bill or it's a different bill uh, because we only care about the value. However, if you are, for example, the national bank and you print money, then you, then you do care about what bill it is. Then you will probably have a, a serial number on that bill, and that serial number is the identity. So in that case, you, you're not just interested in the value of that bill, you're interested in the identity. So what you're saying is it's not only about, about difference between entities and value objects. It is this difference is pretty much controlled by the domain you're talking about or you're living in. It is domain that controls or forces you to create to to map something as an entity or as value object inside the system because you care or don't care about this entity identity or uniqueness or not. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so depending on who you are and what you are interested in, you would uh, uh, model uh, money as as. A, a, a bill with an identity or in most cases in e-commerce or whatever you'd probably only be interested in the actual value so you would model it as just a value object so in a way a value object most of the time a value object is, is very simple it's just like an object wrapper around a simple value or multiple uh, and money is again a good example because uh, you cannot just represent money with a number you cannot say uh, I give you 500 because 500 what could be anything could be 500 bananas uh, you wouldn't be really happy if I paid you with 500 bananas yeah I, I wouldn't be happy I wouldn't <laughs> so so your value object uh, 
combines two things. Uh, in this case, it would be the value and it would be the currency. So the amount and the currency. So these two, the 500 and the euro, these two belong together. If I give you 500 uh, British pounds or 500 US dollars, that's not the same, even though the number is the same. Yeah. And it's, it's even more than that, is, is it? It's kind of, they, they're not only logically tied together, but they're physically tied together. It's, you can't, like, if you have a, like, instance of money on your hands, on your physical hands, like, like just paper, you can't change currency of it, right? You can't set different currency to this paper. And the same, you can't change amount of this. And it's like, they're almost like map exactly to immutability. Those yes. two values are so tied together that there is no logical reason why you would set them independently. Exactly. So you could, I mean, in, in many systems, uh, people use primitives and they would just have a number and a string and that number would be the amount and the string would be the currency. But that is sort of risky because that that uh, leaves you more room for error yep. because they are not, not encapsulated together. And the whole idea, and that's why my friend calls it the heart and soul of object-oriented programming, is that these two things belong together. They they live together, they have behavior together, so they should be encapsulated into one object, and that would be our money value object in this case. Absolutely, because it's like if you think about this in like if you stick with with money uh, example, if you think about domain logic dri which drives money and the conversions, if you want to change uh, currency of the money, the only way in physical world you can do this is by conversion but yes. if you're if you're if you implement it if you describe your money as like objects with setters where you can independently set things you can do things you can change currency wrongly without conversion and yes. thus you're creating like possibilities for the problems for yourself later because you are you transform the physical physical object from the physical world into the virtual world without caring yeah exactly so if if you have an object a value object you want it to be immutable uh, because imagine that we we already said that we only care about the the value of a value object not the identity so i could have for example uh, two customers in my system and i would i could give them both uh, uh, they could both have an order for 20 euro and that could be that very same instance of that same 20 euro value object but if I then uh, want to uh, give one of those two customers a coupon for say uh, five euros then if I were to change one of the instances and make it 15 if it was mutable then because of the way how uh, PHP works the other order would have 15 euros as well and that would be uh, a bug um, because the other person didn't have that coupon. I hope I'm sort of making this clear. It's a bit abstract to talk about code uh, uh, without showing it. Yeah, so basically uh, it's more about value objects are really, really tied logically to immutability, to, to the notion of immutability, because the value objects, when you create them, it is more than logical to expect when you want to change this value object you are not getting the same instance, you're getting the new one. So, for example, if you're exchanging money with other person 
or like banknote with other person you're getting new one you're not changing number on the banknote and this is this happens like with most physical objects we're not changing like physical attributes of the objects in the physical world we're just interchanging objects one to another we're always creating something new based on something existent and it's it's fair to say that value objects in most cases they're all about constructors and they they're almost never about setters yes exactly if you have a setter on an on a value object that means it's mutable and that uh, means that you introduce this risk of of bugs um, and one one other example that I like very much uh, uh, which was actually the reason that I, I built, I have a, a library called Money, it's on my GitHub account, and um, it's uh, basically a value object for money with some additional behavior that I, that I needed for a project. Uh, for example, allocation. Um, for example, if I have a five cent value object and uh, we agree to split that 50-50, then I cannot give you a two and a half cent value object and myself uh, a two and a half value, uh, cent value object as well, because two and a half cent doesn't exist in in the physical world. I cannot sort of uh, cut uh, a cent in half and give you that. That would be worthless. Yep. So this allocation is behavior that is very typical of this money value object. It should be tied. It should be an, a method on that money object. So if I call allocate uh, and I want to allocate it to two uh, people, for example, then one of them is going to get three cents and the other one is going to get two cents. And that logic, that business logic about money is, uh, is, um, is so typical for money that you want to encapsulate it in that money value object. You don't want to do these sort of calculations on the outside. Again, that's, that's sort of the essence of object-oriented programming. Yeah, so uh, it's it's almost like you, you're trying to eliminate the entry points where you can mute or change things to as small amount as possible. You can eliminate you know, all additional waypoints where you can change things in the system. And thus, you are kind of eliminating optional ways of changing things. And you sometimes you can create more complex system because like you, you need to create multiple value objects nested value objects in order to to handle one but at the same time what you're doing you're cre creating the clear path where you can operate on top of the system because if you have only one or two entry points it is always clear what you can do because there is only multiple options for you available that you can use to operate so if there is a money and there is like uh, I don't know shop you can you can pay with money to the shop, but you can't change money. So you need another additional entry point which will produce money. So it's always about you know finding who does what and who produces something. And by eliminating those optional entry points, it forces you to think about those natural, most phys physically mapped entry points that just make sense in the domain. Yeah, and one way one way to think about this is uh, maybe maybe uh, you've heard of the tell don't ask principle in object oriented mm -hmm. programming. Um, so the idea here is that you could do it two ways. You could say, uh, "Hey, money, give me your value. I will allocate it uh, three cents to the first guy and two cents to the to the next guy and make new 
uh, money value objects from that. But that's ask. You're asking about the state of that value object, and you do some calculation on the outside, and then you make new ones. Uh, if you do tell don't ask, then you're actually saying, hey, money object, why don't you allocate yourself? And then that money object is responsible for making two new uh, money objects for three cent and two cent, and then it's then it's uh, encapsulated. So tell don't, tell don't ask is a very important uh, principle in object-oriented programming. Yep, and it's always about um, about finding the ways to describe behaviors of the objects or uh, communication between objects in the most natural or closest to the natural way possible. It is always about how your object communicates in the system and trying to map as close as possible to the real life because this is how we see things in day-to-day -day life. Exactly. It's, it's about communication. It's about the contract between objects. For example, if uh, you say, I, I want uh, to make a product, then that product will have a price and that price has a certain contract Namely, it has to be a money object. Um, again, this is uh, an important concept in object-oriented programming. Uh, if, if two objects agree that they will exchange money objects instead of just strings, then you are sort of making, making it, uh, you are making it impossible to exchange something different. So you reduce, again, the risk of, of, of errors there. Yeah, and this is this is where sometimes you you would like to add, and in most cases you will add logic to the value objects because they represent your domain and they they represent it as close as possible to to the real domain to the physical version of it, and this is the case where if you have some operation which is required to be done to produce specific data output, and this is the only way you can produce this data output. There is no reason for this operation living outside of the value objects. If you define logic inside the value objects, this is where you kind of you're encapsulating this information inside value object, and value objects start starts being responsible for how it behaves and how it communicates with others without you in need to think how it should how you should control this object from the outside. It's more like you're removing this responsibility from yourself and moving it onto the value objects. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, another, another thing that's uh, very important with, with these value objects is that they help you to uh, group stuff together. Money is a very uh, uh, typical example because it's, it's, we always uh, see it as a value and, and uh, an amount and a currency. But other things like an address, um, when I ask you, hey, what's your address, uh, Constantine? Then you, you could say uh, that you will give me your complete address. It's sort of a complete thing. I'm not going to ask you, hey, uh, Constantine, what's your street? Okay, and what's your street number? And what's your zip code? We ask these, these things are a logical uh, whole. In addition to understanding how you fill data, it is also about how you change data. So it's almost like you're grouping data or information fields by how they will be changed. And it's, it's this mutability grouping that helps you to identify different value objects in the system. For example, you will never want to change the street 
or a house number or rarely want without changing everything else because this is mapped together if you're changing your address you're changing your address you're not changing like postcode or street you're changing it all together you're moving up yeah and uh, it's even more powerful another another object-oriented uh, principle that we can use with value objects is uh, composition it's very composable uh, you said address, and an address is actually composed of, uh, well, maybe a street can be just a string, but a zip code is something that you could model as another value object if uh, there are specific rules for that zip code, depending on the country you're in. Uh, same with uh, telephone numbers or, or email addresses, etc. They have a very specific format, so you can have uh, individual value objects to model that and then compose more complex value objects uh, with these individual ones, such as an address that is composed of a street and a zip code and a city and a country. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's everywhere. We're not thinking too much about this, but it's like, it is country and language, like car country and currency. We have those like naturally everywhere. We're just not thinking about them. We're just creating those like huge objects with set of setters. We and we can change everything, but this is where we're creating problems where you can set currency and available in the country or change to the language which shouldn't be available in this specific country, or vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Um and country is an, is a, another interesting one because um, often people will uh, use an entity for country because they want to store a list of countries in their database and, uh, for example, populate a select box with that list of countries. And that's, that makes it very confusing because then it looks like country is actually an entity. But um, it still isn't. A country, uh, well, it can be depending on what you are modeling. But if you just want to populate the select box for a, for a form, then the countries are not really entities. They don't have a life cycle in your application. They are just values. If they're not part of your domain, they're probably not entity. Exactly. And uh, what this actually is, uh, some people call this a lookup entity. Um, somebody else actually called this an accidental entity because it doesn't want to be an entity, but you make it an entity for some uh, uh, reason that is not really the, the important part of your domain. The reason is just helping the user fill in the form. Um, so, and, and you can do that different ways. You can, uh, in, for example, in a relational database, instead of having a foreign key to that country table, uh, you could still use them as value objects. And one trick I do is I, uh, I, I don't call this lookup entity uh, country entity, but I call it available country. So I have a repository called available countries repository. And then I can just use that to present available countries to the, to the end user. But what I actually store in my customer object would not be a link to the available countries table. It would just be a country, a country value object. Exactly. So, uh, you don't have to, uh, turn to entities because some little detail sort of forces you. Uh, you can you can model that separately. You can say I have two concepts here. One concept is available countries, a list of 
possibilities. And the other concept is a country value object. And they are independent. You just use one to make the other. Yeah, being entity or not is not something that is enforced by your RAM. It is something that you should enforce onto your objects based on your domain and based on your decision. Do you, want, do you need identity inside this object or not? Yes, exactly. If you are, for example, uh, um, let's say you are the government and you have a, a database of uh, intelligence of every country, then, of course, countries would be entities because then you countries are part of your domain. You would be interested in the life cycle of a country. You would be interested if that country changes name, for example. So, again, this is different possibilities for when something is just a value or it is an important entity or it is uh, an available uh, a lookup entity that you use to make value objects. So, uh, what other examples uh, do we have of, of value objects? Immutable date times, time slots, date ranges. Yeah, date, date time is very interesting because in PHP uh, we have actually a date time uh, uh, class and an object, but it's mutable. If you, if you, for example, uh, call a method on a date time object in PHP to uh, get the next day, then it will mute uh, mutate the actual date time instance. Which is illogical, but it's a different story. So yeah, it's kind of it's a value object logically, but that don't want to be value object. It behaves as a domain object, like logical object, yeah. which changes but, itself. But they made in uh, PHP five point five. They now have a daytime underscore immutable, and that's the same uh, daytime ID, but it uh, attempts to fix that those sort of problems. I haven't actually used it yet, but I would recommend uh, people to, to look at it because it would uh, solve that whole problem of, of mutability. I didn't know about that. I will definitely look into <laughs> it. Well, we're here to learn. But, but people overuse the daytime objects, I think. Um, there's a lot of cases where you uh, don't want a daytime object, but you just want time or you just want date. Or you want, for example, a, a year or just a month you can model that as value objects as well, and I have done that a lot in the past. Uh, I have, for example, a, a, an education project where uh, we have calendar years, and that's model. That's just an integer, uh, for example, 2013, wrapped in an object. That's a calendar year uh, value object. But we also have a school year, and a school year is different because a school year starts on September 1st uh, over here in Belgium, and it ends actually August. 31st, and that's that's behavior. That's part of what a school year, uh, what it means to be a school year. And then we have, for example, ways to uh, figure out how to find the school year for this particular date. If it's September 2nd, then it's still part, September 2nd, 2013, then that day is part of the school year 2013. But if it's August uh, 15, 2013, then that day is part of uh, the school year 2012. And that logic, that calculation, is simply part of our school year value object. So that's very expressive because when we uh, model things and we have all kinds of uh, planning and uh, uh, for, for uh, teachers uh, to plan the whole year, then that school year value object is very, very useful.
It is. It it's it sounds like a perfect example. Yeah, and and but even for for very simple things like uh, credit card numbers or UUIDs or phone numbers or IP addresses or bank account numbers, all these very simple uh, things that can be represented as a string, but it's uh, they are more than just a string. A string is the contract of a string is it can be anything, but the contract of a, a bank account value object is it can only be a bank account. So that's that's the power I think of a value object. And it's even more than that, isn't it? It's 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 not only about like multiple objects presented as one. It's also about single objects. And I think the big like one of the biggest issues that we have is like is those integers that we put everywhere. It's like the the, the numbers like they don't represent anything. It's like in the real life you always need to put something next to them to explain what it is, right? It's like what kind of number is it? Is it is it a time? Is it a uh, money? Is it is it a uh, number of the session? It is always something that you put next to it, and depending of what what it is, what kind of number it is, there is also constraints applied to it. You can't yeah. create you can't create like minus hours, but if you're storing it as integ as integer. At some point, you could get into the situation, and you wouldn't notice. Yeah, uh, if I give you uh, an integer called 2013, then you don't know anything about it. You can guess that it's something to do with the year. But if I give you a calendar year or a school year, then you will know which one it is. And if you expect a school year, and I give you uh, 2013, but I think it's a calendar year, then we will have a bug. But if you expect a school year and I give you a calendar year object or vice versa, then our type hinting is going to crash on that. So we cannot have that mistake or, or compiler or, or, or runtime in PHP is going to uh, prevent those sort of mistakes. You cannot swap them. Yeah, or for example, this, this is where our idea of immutability comes from. It's kind of, if you have those calendar year representing years, you have specific constraint applied to them in inside constructor, let's say. It throws exception if it doesn't look like a year. And if you store those years or values as a simple integer, it means at some point you will have this part of behavior in some service inside your system, which will try to produce new calendar year, and it might fail. But as it's still in integer, you will be able to store zero or minus value, and nobody notice. But if you if you if some object expects this calendar year value object you need to create calendar year value object first and you can't create it with wrong value you will have this exception you will be notified yeah. about the problem and you will know where this problem comes from and that's that's the beauty of of explicit definition of the domain objects and their communication between each other this is why i think it's extremely powerful to have to have system where you talk in the natural language rather than just using um, language abstracts like integer strings when you use something really close to domain object domain language and uh, this is where you can create really bulletproof systems that protect themselves yeah exactly and you can even go further because uh, we we know a lot about the domain. We, we're doing domain-driven design at this, this uh, education project. So we talk to the business and we uh, we ask them 
things like how long do you expect the system to be used um, and when will you start using it. So our, our calendar year domain object or value object and our school year uh, value object, even though um, 1500 is a legal year, in our system it is not. We cannot say new calendar year 1500 because we know that our system is not going to track dates or school years in 1500. It's going to start at, uh, to, we have some historical data going back to maybe uh, uh, 2000. So we can throw an exception if you try to make a calendar year for uh, 1999. Because we know the domain and we understand it, we can limit the possibilities even more. And if for some reason somebody writes uh, uh, wrong code and swaps out two integers, then uh, our system is likely going to detect it because in our system, the school year 1999 is illegal anyway. And same with uh, 2100 because we don't expect our system to survive uh, for another uh, 90 years. And this is where I, I, I call it enforced domain learning comes, comes into, right? If you, if you need to store some information and you just use integer, right? You don't need to think about anything. You just create property with specific name. Yes, you need to think about the property name still, but it, does, it doesn't take long. You create some abstract name for this property and you store it. That's it. But when you, you add additional steps where you need to create this class which identify this calendar year or some money object and you need to pass some something to the constructor, this is where you kind of, by doing this, you will start asking yourself, like, what kind of objects I will get as a constructor? Is it okay if this, if this calendar year is like uh, zero? Or is it okay if it's null? What constraints are applied to these values? What is a possible or impossible value object at the end? And this is where you are starting to ask questions about your domain and you're starting to understand what it is and what constraints are inside. Exactly. And that's when you go back, if you, if you find that there's some, something vague or ambiguous, uh, then you go back to the customer and you, you ask questions and that's how you, how you learn. That's domain-driven design. Exactly. That's domain-driven design. And um, lots of people tell me, yeah, I'd, I, I'd like to use value objects, but uh, uh, Doctrine or whatever ORM they are using doesn't support it. And I think that's uh, uh, sort of this um, framework-centric thinking where you expect your framework to do everything for you. Uh, but it doesn't have to have to be that way. Um, so the way you can uh, persist value objects or use value objects with Doctrine um, is by starting to think about internal representation and the external contract of uh, your entities. Um, so maybe maybe I should explain first. If you have a value object, you can represent that as a string by using in PHP. You have the underscore underscore to string uh, method the magic method, and you can use that in value objects to build a string representation. And again, money is a very good example. You can just have, for example, uh, uh, your, so E-U-R space 20.00. That could be a string representation of your money. And you can actually parse that back into a money value object again, because it's very easy to parse that. You just have to uh, use the three first letters as currency and uh, the rest of the string as the amount, and then you can use that to reconstruct 
your value object from a string to parse that string into a value object again. So that's an important ID. Uh, the other thing you can do, of course, on a value object is ask for its uh, separate fields. Uh, so a money value object, you could say uh, get amount and get currency, and then you have two strings. One would be 20.00 and the other would be uh, EUR or USD or GBP. So there's two ways of representing this uh, money object as strings. One is a complete string that holds all the information to parse it back. And the other one is a set of two strings. And we can use this to uh, uh, decide how we want to persist that. Let's say we have an, uh, a product entity in a product catalog in an, in an eShop. Uh, we would probably have something like uh, maybe set price on that product. And that set price method would take a money value object as parameter. And then we don't have to represent that as a value object inside this product object. So the contract of the product object would be uh, set price and get price. And that would they would both uh, work with money value objects. But internally, we could use we could decide to represent that price as a single string or as two strings. So we can do this conversion, this string casting inside this set product method, and then simply store these two this field in the database. So then we would have in our database one field called price that has a GBP twenty or we could choose to split it up into two fields. If, for example, we want to be able to query on that, then we denormalize it and we uh, we, uh, we normalize it and we make it two fields inside the product entity. So then we would have in our database uh, price amount and price currency. But but the outside contract, the get price of the product, would still give me a value object, a money value object. Even. And even simpler than that, as an entry drug, as something like really, really simple, you don't even need to bother about transforming objects into strings and back. If you're working with modern and good RAM system like Doctrine, for example, it already supports object type fields and identities. So it, can, it will just serialize and unserialize your value objects into strings automatically behind the scenes for you. Yeah, exactly. But there's a lot of danger in that, of course, because it will be harder to integrate with different systems. And if someday you yeah. decide to uh, restructure your value object to change your code, then your serialized objects are uh, all of a sudden invalid. So there's some risk with that. But it's it's very good for prototyping, of course. Obvious intro drug. This is something yeah. you can start from easily. And then, yeah, at some point where where you will see that there is like you you modeled your system properly uh, this is where you will start thinking about the normalization for example maybe it's just like one script that goes through all your entities in the database and then normalizes them into the strings and just because from the outside your entities never talked about those strings or serialization they always just get the value objects from you and return value objects to you it's just how you represent them internally that changes. And you can migrate those things really, really easy during the lifetime of your project. Start from something simple and then complicate it later, then normalize it later. Yeah, and one thing I do, and uh, some people are uh, don't like that, but um, 
it's to actually have uh, duplication inside my database table. For example, uh, I, I've done that for time slots uh, where I, I needed uh, to be able to search on, on the complete time slot, for example, uh, 12 to 14 o'clock. Um, but I also wanted to, to be able to search on ranges, so to query that in the database. So what I did was actually in my entity, uh, where I have um, set time slot, for example, that takes a time slot value object, uh, I store both the string representation of the full time slot, um, separated by a dash, as well as uh, start time and an end time. So I have three fields in my database now. One is time slot, one is start time, and one is end time. And that gives me a lot of flexibility to query things. And people uh, say you, you, you cannot have this sort of duplication, but the reason uh, that is dangerous is usually because uh, they have too many entry points to that field. If you have very good encapsulation, then um, your entity is going to be the only one who knows to how to uh, split up that time slot and how to uh, reconstitute it. So you won't have any risk of, uh, of you know, having this, this logic uh, distributed across your application. Because that nobody from the outside, yeah. Because nobody from the outside knows uh, about those three fields. Yeah, the only one who knows is actually the repository for that. Uh, in my case, that would be uh, like an uh, appointment, for example. The appointment repository knows about this because the repository is uh, understands how to how to query the database or how to find the right appointments, etc. So it's a close relationship between the entity and the repository, and they agree that, okay, here we are going to have this duplication, but we are the only ones who know about it. We're the only ones who know how to manage it. Uh, nobody else will ever know that this uh, exists. So yeah, I, my, my point is sort of that you can do very powerful things and you don't have to wait for a, a doctrine um, to support value objects. They will in the future. I think it's planned for the next version, but they have been sort of promising that for every version. Um, but even if they do, I, I don't think it's a problem that you're, that the, the ORM is supposed to solve for you because exactly these sort of cases where I decide that I want different ways of representing the same data at the same time because it makes my code a lot more powerful and my queries a lot faster, etc. Uh, that's my decision. The ORM cannot decide these things for me. And it would be a lot more work for you as well because you'd have to map how this value object is uh, supposed to be persisted, etc. So I don't think it's Doctrine's responsibility to help you to persist value objects. It's yours and it's very easy because the value objects are only, they only exist in your code as a contract, but they don't exist in your database. And you are responsible for that that separation. Value object is anything else related, strictly related to your domain. It is your responsibility to make decisions about that, not your ORM. So stop delegating those really important decisions to the ORMs and waiting ORMs or frameworks to make these decisions for you in the future. This is your domain. This is your project. This is part of the system. This is a core of it that you will work on with years ahead, months ahead. And this is what design is all about. It is about you making decisions instead of waiting for someone else, framework or other developers to do this. Yes, and I think that's a, 
beautiful statement to end this with. Uh, unless you have something to add about value objects. value objects. Oh no, I think that's that's enough for today. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, we hope you like it, and you know, give us some feedback, ask us questions uh, if you have ideas for topics. Yeah, give us a shout, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, we really appreciate that, and it is really awesome that you guys are appreciating us talking together for <laughs> half an hour. Yeah, we're at elephantintheroom.io. You can find us there. Uh, see you guys. See you next time.